Welcome on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about our amazing work around the world. You can do that by going to our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share God's Word with you. The Bible teaches us in the book of Acts that repentance is a gift that God has given to the Jews and Gentiles alike. The act of changing your mind about your sin and the deep spiritual need you have is a gift of God working within you. And the same Bible that says repentance is a gift also tells us that so is saving faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want you to note how Peter saw the phenomenon that was taking place. On that day of Pentecost, and what he was saying is people were believing in Jesus Christ as they preached the good news of Jesus Christ on the Temple Mount. What Peter saw was that repentance was being granted by God to the people of Israel. In other words, Peter didn't see this as some kind of mass hysteria. Peter didn't see this as people responding to his powers of persuasion. Peter didn't see this as somehow people being drawn to his charismatic personality or being won by the winsomeness of his message. Peter didn't see this as individuals who were simply yielding to a convincing argument. This was not the phenomenon of humans with fickle minds turning from one religious orientation to the latest religious fad. Hardly a description of Jewish people. Rather stubborn in their beliefs. Why are they in the Temple Mount in the first place? Because they're committed to the traditions that have been taught to them. No, they're turning because God is giving them repentance. God is doing something in their lives. God is turning them. God is changing their minds. This is not something natural. And so what Peter is seeing is, in a sense, God through His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, unmasking people's false faith and leading them to turn themselves over to God to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. And I imagine that Peter and the disciples were believing on this mount the nation of Israel was going to have the outpouring of this gift of repentance until the nation turned back to the Messiah and then the Messiah would come and bring his kingdom among them. That was their hope. This was going to be a phenomenon for the Jewish people. They were being granted by God the gift of repentance. But that's not how the story of Acts goes. Somewhere along the line, God comes to Peter as he's faithfully bringing this message of the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people, and Peter has a dream, a dream of a sheet that comes down from heaven. We read about it in Acts chapter 11. And in the sheet is all of this unclean food, which represents Gentile people that they considered to be unclean, and so they didn't come in contact with them. And Peter is told to eat it. I won't eat anything, Lord, that's unclean. No, listen, Peter, whatever I've declared clean is clean. Right after the dream is over with, a knock comes at its door. Three Gentile men are there. Peter and the six men that are with him in the room are asked to come from Joppa down to Caesarea. There's a man by the name of Cornelius, a Gentile man, who has been given a vision of God that there's a man in Joppa by the name of Peter that can come and show him the ways of life. Peter goes down to Joppa with these six and the three men. 
There he finds Cornelius with all of his household and all of his friends and neighbors. Peter preaches to them the good news of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world who's died for our sins, the Lamb that's been our sacrifice and risen from the grave, been exalted to be the Lord of heaven and earth. As he's preaching the message, we're not told of a prayer of faith that's made. We're not told of a decision that was made by the people. Peter doesn't get to the point where he says, now listen, what you need to do is pray this prayer and then you'll be a Christian. All of a sudden they begin speaking in tongues. This phenomenon that happened in the early church on the day of Pentecost begins happening with these Gentiles. Peter, while he's speaking this, is probably wondering, you know, I'm not sure whether I should be here, but it does seem that all the things have added up that I'm supposed to. I did have a dream. There were people at my doorway. He did have a dream. God pours out and confirms this is God's plan. Peter's conclusion is, what am I to do? As he's defending himself to these other Jewish leaders of the church who believed that repentance was to be a gift to the Jewish people alone before the Messiah returned, what was I to do? To stand in the way of God and what God was doing? But look at what Peter says in conclusion to all this. The very end of Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Here's Peter's conclusion. Then God has granted, also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This is God's plan. God is in control. No one comes to see their own selves and their old patterns of trust and no one turns from themselves unless God awakens them and brings them to repentance. Gentlemen, He's doing it among the Jewish people and God is doing it among the Gentiles. He's giving the gift of repentance. Let's not stand in His way. That's what He's saying. That's what we spoke about. Repentance is a gift that God gives us. Now, the same scriptures that tell us that repentance is a gift that God gives us also declares that faith is God's gift as well. The same scriptures. We read it in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. For by grace have we been saved by faith, and that not of ourselves. The faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. Faith is God's gift to us. Now, follow me for a second, but I believe that what I'm saying here is accurate. I would think that if we were just to naturally convince a man to repent of his own self-confidence, repent of his own trust in his good works and his self-righteousness, that that would be an easier argument to win. If we were left to just natural devices to bring individuals to repentance, it would seem to me that getting a person to repent of his confidence in itself would be the easy side of the argument. All I'd have to do is show him his continual failures. All I'd have to do is point out his own sins. All I'd have to do is give him a survey of the society around him. All I'd do is take for a moment and give him a gaze of the underbelly of the character and the conduct of people in the religious society that he's trusting in and show you what their religion has produced age after age after age in every society. But destruction and ruin and disappointment and failure and all I could do is point to the Political heroes that they put their hope in and showed how those same political heroes have had to, in order to deliver some deliverance of hope to one group of people, has had to trample on some other group of people and whatever they put their faith in. It seems that it would be easy to teach them. That's repentance. You remember when Saul was persecuting the early church and he's going up to Damascus. Actually, Saul tells the story in Acts chapter 9 and also in Acts chapter 26. He tells of how the Lord Jesus confronted him in a miraculous way, blinded him in blinding light. But as he confronted him and spoke to him, 
One of the words that the Lord Jesus spoke to Saul was, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Twice Paul tells the story of his conversion experience and both times he tells of this statement by the Lord Jesus. Interesting, not all of his story is the same. He leaves certain parts out, but he always leaves this part. Isn't it hard to kick against the goads? What a goad was, was a stick that a farmer might hold out behind his oxen while he was trying to plow the field. And if the oxen would try to lead that path where he was plowing or would kick against it, he'd get poked by that sharp stick to push him back in the right way. God's saying, Saul, I'm trying to bring you down a path away from yourself and I'm trying to bring you to myself. And you're fighting against it. Isn't this hurtful to you? Isn't this kind of a difficult tactic that you're in, resisting, yielding yourself to my call to repentance? And the answer is yes. It hurts not to repent. When you kick against the goad of conscience, it bloodies your heels. But the amazing thing is, people still do it. They still kick against the goad of conscience which says that you are insufficient in yourselves to address the sin that you're heaping up in your lives. Still they do it. And so Saul was kicking against the goads. He wasn't repenting. Naturally, he should figure out, wait, this hurts. Naturally, he's thinking, you know, I might stop this. I might repent of this. I might stop butting my heels. But he doesn't. No. God has to meet Saul in a blinding light on the way to Damascus and drive him to his knees and speak to him out of a cloud and drive him into repentance. Naturally, it seems to me, it ought to be easy for us to just repent and turn from ourselves and turn to Christ. But the reality is, in one way or another, if you've repented of your sin and believed in Christ, Jesus Christ had to meet you on your Damascus road. No less powerfully, no less an exertion of the work of God, God had to bring you out of your natural inclination to continue to bloody your heels and resist His attempts to bring you to repentance. It has to be something God shapes in your life. Now, having said that about repentance, that it looks like it should be fairly easy to come to, but still, God has to work it out. Faith, on the other hand, doesn't seem to be an easy thing to come to. That kind of faith that saves us seems to me to be a rather, well, people say it, a leap of faith. It's a rather bold leap. You don't like that idea or thought. You think that faith ought to be. To me, repenting is a small little step. Losing faith in myself, I should by now have observed from my own life and from the life of others that I should easily step away, but still God has to work in my life to get me to repent. Faith, on the other hand, really, when you consider it, is a rather bold thing and a big thing and a huge launch for people. And you'll not come to faith. If, if you can't come to repentance through a natural progression of your own observations, you won't come to faith unless God gives it to you. Listen to what Paris Reedhead says. He says this, Do you think for one moment that an impenitent wretch trying to bargain with God can stretch his arm, the arms of his spirit across 2,000 years past see a Jew dying on a Roman gibbet and truly believe that the death of that man could change his eternal destiny and his character without the help of God? You think it's possible 
that if man can't come to repentance by his own natural observations, that he's going to come to faith in someone who died 2,000 years ago and believe that that man's death is sufficient to take care of all of his sins and secure for him everlasting life and peace and hope. No, this takes the work of God. What other arguments we might give for the logic of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ? However we might present the power of His words, the power of His sinless life, the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy, which we could show people through Scriptures and apply it to His life to prove that He was the Christ. However we might give the argument of His miracles, of His resurrection, of the impact that all these events had upon the early disciples who proclaimed about His life and how the church grew and expanded at such an incredible rate. And it's all there and it's quite convincing to prove that Jesus Christ was indeed the Christ and the disciples gave that evidence as well. Still, you will not be able to bring an individual to full confidence of saving faith unless that faith is granted to them by God. What happened to Peter must happen to us. Flesh and blood cannot bring this to us. God has to reveal it to our hearts. God has to set this confession within our hearts and within our lips. Oh, we have our part. We have our part in speaking this truth and we have our part in transitioning our hand from this shrub to that shrub, but there's no valor in it. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.